Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 12th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our top stories. ChatGPT is a chatbot developed by a company named OpenAI, and it is designed to be a conversational AI, and it has been praised for its ability to generate human-quality text. Microsoft and OpenAI have a long-term partnership that began in 2019, and Microsoft has now invested $1 billion in OpenAI and became its exclusive cloud provider. This partnership has allowed Microsoft to integrate ChatGPT into its products and services, such as its Bing search engine. Google Bard is a conversational AI chatbot developed by Google AI, a Microsoft competitor. These th- are three of many examples are based on what is known as generative AI. Generative AI is a type of artificial intelligence that can create or generate new content, such as images, text, and music, hence the name Generative AI. It does this by learning from existing data and then using that knowledge to generate new outputs. Unfortunately, the technology is capable of what the industry refers to as hallucinations, An AI hallucination refers to the phenomena where an artificial intelligence system generates responses that are not based on real-world data. Researchers and developers are actively working to mitigate and minimize hallucinations in AI systems as they can hinder the reliability and trustworthiness of the new technology. Generative AI can be used to write movie scripts, create music, or write documents such as briefs filed in litigation. But this is not without controversy and criticism. For example, the use of AI by college students to write essays has been a controversial topic in recent years, with some people saying that AI is a valuable tool that can help students to improve their writing skills, while others believe that it is a form of academic dishonesty and plagiarism. And now the controversial use of generative AI has worked its way into courtrooms. Stephen Schwartz, who has worked for a major Manhattan law firm for three decades, apologized repeatedly to a judge presiding over his case who is considering sanctioning him. The judge was concerned because his court filings included fake case citations generated by ChatGPT. So he apologized for getting what he said duped by the artificial intelligence tool. He said that it just never occurred to him that the technology could just be making up cases and totally fabricating responses to his research inquiries. In the wake of the publicity about Schwartz's case, a Texas judge has now issued an order banning the use of generative artificial intelligence to write court filings in his courtroom without additional fact-checking conducted by an actual person. The Texas judge wrote in his order that these platforms in their current states are prone to hallucinations and bias, and went on to explain that hallucinations 
simply means the technology just makes stuff up, even quotes and citations. The new requirement comes after a lawyer representing a man suing an airline used ChatGPT to prepare a legal brief, which was discovered to be laden with errors, including made-up court cases. The federal judge presiding on the case said he is at least putting lawyers on notice that they cannot just trust those databases. They've got to actually verify it themselves. As yet another example, a magistrate judge in Illinois similarly implemented a standing order that requires parties using generative AI tools in document preparation to disclose such usage in their filings. Louis Brisbois, Bisgard & Smith, a large international law firm with over 1,500 attorneys in 34 offices across the United States, Canada, Europe, and Asia, and who is headquartered in Los Angeles, California. In addition to insurance defense, it offers a range of legal services such as complex litigation, including class actions, mass torts, and product liability cases. Last month, John Barber, who was chair of the Lewis Brisbois Employment Law Practice, announced that at least 110 lawyers were leaving Lewis Brisbois after signing agreements to join a newly formed spin-off firm he founded. It's called Barber Rannan. John Barber will lead the firm along with Jeffrey Rannan, who was a national vice chair of the labor and employment practice at Lewis Brisbois. The new firm announced the opening of three fiscal offices in Los Angeles, Newport Beach, and San Francisco, with other lawyers working remotely in nine other major cities. Rannan told the Los Angeles Business Journal about the formation of Barber Rannan, claiming he wanted to lead with empathy, collaboration, and compassion, and not have any baggage. But this week, media sources are reporting that now, John Barber and Jeffrey Rannan are making headlines once again, and this time the news is quite alarming. According to the New York Post, Barber and Rannan are alleged to have engaged in racist, misogynistic, homophobic, and anti-Semitic language about their clients and colleagues while at Lewis Brisbois. And this was according to a review of internal emails released Monday morning. Lewis Brisbois found the problematic emails after an audit, which was triggered by a formal complaint about Barber and Rannan, according to two sources familiar with the matter. Barber Rannan CEO Tim Graves released a statement Monday confirming that the two men had resigned the new firm following the discovery of the emails. He went on to say that the remaining equity partners expressed their disappointment and disdain for the language Mr. Barber and Mr. Rannan used, and they will now form a new firm with a new name. The first release of these emails was made by Lewis Brisbois to Forward, which is a nonprofit that claims to be the most widely read Jewish newspaper anywhere. According to Forward, the internal emails go back to 2012 and reveal that the two cultivated a culture of bigotry and disparagement against members of the Jewish community. 
The Forward article provided numerous examples, such as in a 2012 email when Jeffrey Rannon wrote to John Barber that allegedly said, I forgot to write that we will not hire Jews after the latter recommended a person his or her identity was redacted by the company for a litigation contract. Many of the shocking misses obtained by the Post from the pair's former firm were also racist or anti-LGBTQ. Critics ripped the two men's behavior and the firm's hypocrisy, and civil rights activist Al Sharpton told the Post that he was calling on the State Bar of California to conduct a full review of their character and licenses to practice law. Barber and Rannon individually did not return multiple messages seeking any comment. And now our litigation report. Five Guys Restaurants is hoping that their fifth try to settle a wage-hour class action against them will do the trick and settle a case pending now for five years. Five Guys Enterprises is an American fast food chain focused on hamburgers, hot dogs, and french fries, and it is headquartered in Virginia and has over 1,600 locations in the United States, Canada, Europe, and Asia. And California is the state with the most number of Five Guys locations with 128 restaurants, which is about 9% of all Five Guys restaurants in the U.S. A class action lawsuit was filed against them on behalf of 2,206 non-exempt workers at the Gourmet Burger chain in 2018 by lead plaintiff Jeremy R. Lusk in a Fresno federal court against five guys, alleging that the company violated California labor laws by denying its workers breaks and overtime pay. Plaintiff Mr. Lusk worked as an hourly non-exempt manager in training at a Five Guys establishment in California from August to November 2016. He alleged that he and class members were not always permitted to take 30-minute meal breaks and 10-minute rest breaks for each four-hour work period because it was too busy for them to do so. And he also alleged that he and class members were required to perform work off the clock, such as counting out the cash register, which may take up to 20 minutes, and they were required to utilize their own personal vehicles to pick up food and supplies, and five guys did not reimburse them for that use. In 2019, five guys and the plaintiffs agreed to a $1.2 million settlement. However, the settlement was rejected by a California federal judge who identified several issues that needed to be addressed. Then, in 2020, plaintiffs again filed a first amended motion for preliminary approval of their settlement, which had addressed the issues raised by the court. But again, the court denied the motion, finding more issues that needed to be addressed. Moving then to a year later in 2021, the plaintiff made a third try and filed a supplemental second amended motion for preliminary approval. And again, the court denied plaintiff's motion, triggering another amended motion in 2021 for preliminary approval. But then in January 2022, the court again denied plaintiff's fourth try to settle a case. 
So in July 2022, plaintiff filed another motion for preliminary approval, which the court finally tentatively approved without a hearing. Moving now to 2023, the court set what is expected to be the final approval hearing. And in a supporting brief, the Five Guys employees urged the judge to greenlight the settlement seven months after they received preliminary approval of the deal. With this new agreement for the same $1.2 million settlement, each claimant could receive up to $900, dependent on the final plaintiff's legal fees. And now our crime report. The Coalition Against Insurance Fraud new study provides important insights into the psychological factors behind insurance fraud, such as the perceived likelihood of being caught and the perceived severity of the consequences for committing insurance fraud. And its study, Who Me? Who Commits Insurance Fraud and Why? The study showed that a significant number of Americans aged 45 and younger show a high level of tolerance for insurance fraud, even feeling envious of those who have committed it. And that 87 to 96% of older respondents consider insurance fraud a crime, while only 75% of those under age 75 consider it a crime, with the percentage skewing downward by age to only 64% for the youngest group surveyed. Other findings include more than 36% of all Americans believe it's acceptable to submit an inflated auto damage insurance game. Over 30% of 24 to 34-year-olds definitely would submit a fraudulent property damage claim. 20% of those 18 to 24 would also commit workers' compensation fraud, compared to less than 10% of those 45 and older. And over a quarter of those 18 to 34 were motivated to commit insurance fraud, compared to less than 7% of those over 75. The study also looked more closely at attitudes towards submitting a fraudulent workers' compensation injury claim, discovering that 5.71% of persons surveyed admitted to have already submitted a non-job injury to their employer to be paid. And 11.36% of respondents who have not committed fraud said they definitely would, a percentage exceeding the 10.50% who said they might make such a claim. The executive director of the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud said that this study should sound the alarm for insurers, consumer activists, regulators, and legislatures on the state of fraud in America. Now, in the ever-evolving landscape of cyber threats, a new player has emerged, an organization known as Ransom House that focuses on breaching networks through, through vulnerabilities to steal valuable data. And its recent victim, Mission Community Hospital, has been providing health care in the San Fernando Valley community for more than 50 years. Ransom House publicly announced that it has 2.5 terabytes of the hospital's data and provided some proof, along with a note that strongly recommended that the hospital contact them 
to prevent confidential or research data to be leaked or sold to a third party. Rather than encrypting stolen files, Ransom House is a cybercrime group that extorts money from victims by threatening to leak the stolen data. The group first emerged in December 2021 and has since successfully targeted a number of high-profile organizations and also uses a blog to taunt victims and to encourage other cybercriminals to target them. And in regulatory news, the National Safety Council has been America's leading nonprofit safety advocate for nearly 110 years, working to eliminate the leading causes of preventable death and injury, focusing its efforts on the workplace. Organizations and individuals across the country have come together to join the National Safety Council in observance of National Safety Month each June to bring extra attention to the safety issues faced from the workplace to any place. The latest available data reveals that more than 4,400 preventable workplace deaths and 4.26 million injuries occurred in 2021. The National Safety Month provides an opportunity to raise public awareness of the leading safety and health risks in order to decrease the number of preventable injuries and deaths in the United States as it is as important as ever. This June, the National Safety Council encourages employers and individuals alike to be safety role models on and off the job because it just may prevent an injury or save a life. As part of the observance, each week of June is focused on a specific safety issue. This year, the topics include Week 1, Emergency Preparedness. Week 2, Slips, Trips, and Falls. Week 3, Heat-Related Illness. And Week 4, Hazard Recognition. The WCIRB has released an updated COVID-19 report on the topic of medical treatments and costs of COVID-19 claims and long COVID in the California Workers' Compensation System, a 2023 update. Since March 2020, over 300,000 COVID-19 workers' compensation claims have been filed in California. But the number and average cost of COVID-19 claims declined in 2021 and 2022 compared to the early months of the pandemic. Still, many claims continued to be filed, particularly from healthcare workers, on the front line of COVID-19 patient care, and others who had to work outside the home and faced higher exposure to COVID-19 infection. Highlights of the report showed that, over a 12-month post-acute care period, approximately 13% of COVID-19 claims with medical payments received treatments for long COVID symptoms in the workers' compensation system. Also, the risk of long COVID is higher among female workers, workers over age 50, and as well as those with comorbidity. And it showed that claims involving treatments for long COVID symptoms are four times more likely to receive permanent disability benefits compared to other COVID-19 claims without treatment for long COVID symptoms. 
The full report is available in the research section of the WCIRB website. And the WCIRB has also published a new Experience Modification Estimator Spreadsheet. An Employer's Experience Modifier, or XMOD, is calculated by examining the insured's actual loss history against the expected or average loss experience for the insured's class of businesses. The calculation returns an experience modifier that will result in either a credit or debit to the insured's premium. The WCIRB has just released its September 1, 2023 Experience Modification Estimator for insurers, agents, and brokers to help its policyholders understand how payroll and claims experience will affect the computation of their September 1, 2003 and later XMOD. To use the WCIRB September 1, 2023 Experience Modification Estimator, which is free of charge, visit the Learning Center on WCIRB.com. The estimator spreadsheet format makes it easy for users to view and simply copy and paste data into the application. The September 1, 2023 estimator was updated with the approved experience rating values after the insurance commissioner issued a decision on the WCIRB's September 1, 2023 regulatory filing. State Farm General Insurance Company just announced it will cease accepting new applications, including all business and personal injury, property and casualty insurance, effective May 27, 2023. The company said it made this decision due to historic increases in construction costs, outpacing inflation, a rapidly growing catastrophe exposure, and because of challenging reinsurance markets. Before State Farm's announcement, the company requested a 28% rate hike on homeowners insurance, which the California Insurance Commissioner declined to improve. Allstate says they also paused new homeowners, condo, and commercial insurance policies in California last year, after they had previously filed for a 39.6% premium increase, which was also declined by the insurance commissioner. State Farm is the largest property insurer, and Allstate was fourth in the state as of 2021. And then insurance giant GEICO closed all sales centers in the state last year, and hundreds of GEICO workers were expected to be laid off across the state. According to the American Property Casualty Insurance Association, auto insurance losses spiked 25%, while premiums increased by only 4.5% in recent years. And Progressive Insurance stopped advertising in the state of California, and its president and chief executive officer said in an earnings call last year, that the company was slowing its growth in California. And then Kemper's president, chief executive officer and chairman said during his earnings call last month that insurers are becoming increasingly less willing to write new business in California because of the moratorium set by the insurance commissioner on raising rates. And then last March, the Wall Street Journal reported that Insurance companies are quietly fleeing California 
as recent floods and the wildfire season has saddled insurance companies with as much as $1.5 billion in losses. This all goes back to 1988 when California voters approved a ballot measure, Proposition 103, which was backed by tort lawyers that turned the insurance commissioner into a rate-setting czar, which some say is the catalyst for the insurance exodus from the property liability markets. Following State Farm's announcement, the insurance commissioner published a consumer alert which announced the State Farm decision and clearly stated that while the California Department of Insurance cannot legally control a company's business decision, it can help Californians navigate their options. The Department of Insurance concluded by saying it continues to proactively outreach to insurance companies to write more business in California so consumers continue to have available coverage options in the face of continued climate change. These discussions, they say, are ongoing. So with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foltz of Floyd, Scarron, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.